You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the fabulous Feinstein's 54 Below. Before we get started this evening, just a polite reminder. Please take this moment to silence your cell phones. Also, there is no flash photography, please. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, Alice Ripley. Hi, everyone. I'm Adrian Carnani, and welcome back to the Feinstein's 54 Below podcast, where we give you a behind-the-scenes look at artists from Broadway Supper Club. I am thrilled to be sitting down with today's guests, longtime friend of the club Alice Ripley and her frequent collaborator Christopher Schelling. Alice, who has been hailed by the New York Times as simply astonishing, is a consummate Broadway star, a versatile film and TV actor, and a distinguished singer-songwriter. She earned her first Tony Award nomination in 1997 with her brilliant work in the legendary Sideshow before winning the 2009 Tony Award for Best Actress in a Musical for her performance as Diana Goodman in the Pulitzer Prize-winning Next to Normal. She has also originated roles in such Broadway productions as The Who's Tommy, Sunset Boulevard, and most recently, American Psycho. Ripley has won accolades and awards for her work in the feature films Bear With Us and Sugar, and has made guest appearances on such popular TV series as Blue Bloods, Royal Pains, 30 Rock, as herself, and the Netflix series Girl Boss. Along with four original Broadway cast recordings, two musical theater duet albums, and countless guest tracks on compilation CDs and demos, Alice is an accomplished singer-songwriter who has released three albums of her own music. Alice is joined today by her collaborator of nearly 40 years, Christopher Schelling, who is also a founding member of Ripley, the band formed by Alice in 2001. Christopher has served as the musical director and manager for a number of other pop-rock cabaret performers, and his literary agency represents such best-selling authors as Augustine Burroughs, Rainbow Rowell, and Kathy Valentine of the Go-Go's. Next, Alice and Christopher are bringing their show, Crossovers, from Broadway to the Radio, to Feinstein's 54 Below, this March 4th and 5th at 9.30 p.m. Hi, my name's Alice Ripley, and you're listening to the Feinstein's 54 Below podcast. Welcome, Alice and Christopher, to the Feinstein's 54 Below podcast. We are so excited to have you two joining us. Thanks. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. So we'll just jump right in. So you've been a part of the original Broadway cast of Sunset Boulevard, King David, Sideshow, James Joyce's The Dead, and of course, Next to Normal. Um, These shows have gone on to become some of the most iconic in Broadway history. Could you share maybe a favorite memory with us from one of those shows? 
You know, m- most of the shows that you mentioned, we ended up doing the Tony Awards. The bus picks you up at 5 a.m. to go to Radio City. And, you know, putting a wig on and, and a microphone and makeup on your face and head at 5 a.m. on a Sunday morning, you know, it's something that's really seems very wrong about that. <laughs> but doing the Tony Awards, you know, that's something that, that I've done a few times with the shows that you mentioned. And that's always a... Um, a real learning experience because we sing with a a track, not with a live orchestra, and it's always a roll of the dice. So <laughs> you you always feel like like you really hit the bullseye when you can make it through and you sing along with the track and you make it. That was something that I remember from when we when we were on the Tonys with Next to Normal. I just really couldn't hear it, and there's some point where I almost lost control, like I, I lost control of the horse, and then I got back on track. I think when you get to perform on the Tonys, something that's really special about doing a Broadway show. So as your Broadway career progressed, you went on to win a Tony Award in 2009 for the role of Diana Goodman in the Pulitzer Prize-winning musical Next to Normal. And you then took Diana on tour in 2010. Did you feel like audiences reacted to the show differently around the country than they did here on Broadway? Well, I think that you can say that in general with any show. The audiences are going to be different Mm -hmm. wherever you go. But a show like Next to Normal, I found that 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 show has a a unifying theme that kind of breaks open somebody's heart, breaks open the collective heart that's out there. So in that way, the audience is all the same. In general, depending on where you are, whether it's a different venue or a different city, the audience is going to be different for sure. Mm -hmm. And doing that show for you, what was it like? Just diving into a character like that who is grappling with mental illness, did the process for you differ than from other roles you've taken on? No, not really. I mean, that character lives in that same world that all the other characters I've played live, and that's just my imagination. I recently played Norma Desmond, and, and I'm actually more, more like Norma Desmond than any other character I've ever played, believe it or not. When it comes to Diana Goodman, I just kind of made stuff up because we don't have that much in common. And it's, it's fun to rely on your director to help you decide where the sweet spot is. It's a live performance, so you just kind of, then you just kind of like run through the maze, honor all of the spots that you've set up ahead of time, get there. I've always said that that's a show that needs to be available to people so that they can go see it whenever they need it. That's something that, from what people have told me, that it's, it's an honest portrayal of that experience. And you've done it in Buenos Aires too, and they love it there. We do it in concert over there. Yeah. It's half Spanish and half English. Oh, wow. I think they have a production. They call it Casi Normales, and I think that their production is going back up like pretty soon. I think the population there has like three therapists for every person. Yeah, like every, everyone, everyone there is location. in therapy, so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure it resonates there. That's really interesting to hear. I didn't know any of that about that side of the production. Usually what happens is we do a, a concert that's half Spanish and half English, and we sing, you know, I'll sing I Miss the Mountains with one of their Argentinian Dianas, and we split, like we'll split a song like Miss the Mountains, and she'll sing Spanish and I'll sing English. Something else you mentioned was that you recently did Sunset Boulevard, uh, this time playing the role of Norma Desmond. What was it like revisiting that show in such a different role and such a different context? Oh, well, I mean, I'd, I've only I've only done a... It's only been a couple times where I've gone back to a show and played a different role. Um, I was in the original Broadway cast. I played Betty Schaefer. 
you know, I used to always look at the role of Norma Desmond and, and think, wow, maybe someday I could play Norma. And so I'm really glad that I had my chance to finally play her, and I'm looking forward to playing her again someday. I think I've just started my Norma years. It was really neat. I feel like I graduated. Norma is more well-suited to me than Betty Schaefer, and I feel like I'm more like Norma than almost any character I've played, and it was really a lot of fun. It was so much fun playing her because we're so much alike. I just kind of got to be myself. I mean, my crazy, wacky self, but yeah. I saw it twice. It was great. And you have to tell them about the photographs. Oh. Well, the concept for the show was to have 100 black and white CP tone photographs of Norma Desmond all over the theater. It's in the round where we did it. You know, they were like three feet by seven feet framed photos and then small all the way down to like a small two by two inch by two inch but they were all photos of me of course because I was playing Norma so we had a special photo shoot for that so that was that was pretty cool and then we got to take away all the photos at the end of the production so we did and where are they now they're all at Chris's house that's right inside Wow, that's <laughs> that's very fun. So the two of you, though, um, you've been working together for a very, very long time. Um, how did you guys meet and start collaborating? Chris was my accompanist in my voice lessons when I started college at DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana. Uh, I was studying four or five different languages in, in my music lessons, and Chris was there just pounding away on the keys. <laughs> and we hit it off. We just became friends. And then you were the accompanist for when we did Brigadoon, correct? Yep. Which was the first musical well, and I, I did there. Well, I saw her first because you were in Man and Superman. Oh, yeah, that was a play. So you watched me and you thought she's just weird enough for me to love her. Completely, because you, you stood like a mannequin for like a half hour at the beginning of the show. Yeah, that was the concept because my character doesn't arrive, well, the character I played, Anne, doesn't, doesn't arrive for like 20, 25 minutes into the show or something like that. And yeah. so the director had me stand like a statue I, for the I first watched 20, the enti- until the entrance. That was my first experience watching something in what I call Alice Vision. I saw Next to Normal probably like 479 times. And there would be so many times where I would, I, everything else was going on, I would just focus on Alice the entire time. Um, and it also turned out later on we found out that we had gone to high school in abutting suburbs and had friends in common. There was years later. Abutting. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I had to. Years later, I realized that at some point one of my friends had said, oh, do you want to go see my friend Dave and Shelley in The Music Man in West Carrollton? And I remember my response was sort of like, by choice? No. <laughs> and then later on, I realized if I had gone to that, I would have seen you as Marion That was the me. That was the music man. Wow. I that, was, that was. That was a, fr- a near miss when you were in high school. Only you were musical I did in 15 high or something. And Dave was, Dave Hackert. He'll be so excited that I mentioned his name. He's always like, don't forget to mention my name whenever I talk to anybody under a microphone. Um, and that was Dave Hackert playing Harold Hill mm-hmm. and Shelley. Shelley. Shelley Moore, right. Mm-hmm. So anyway, you can see that we were destined to work right. together. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Yeah, destined to work together. It was meant to be. Um, and then you have been also writing original music for years, and then of course you formed Ripley, the band, which Christopher has been a part of 
since the beginning, what would you describe your genre and style of music as? Oh my gosh, what does it sound like? Is it emo music? No. no. Is it is it like folk folk rock? There's there's a pop rock it's element pop to punk. it. The, yeah, a little. Sort Each of album seems to be different. I have one album of covers, um, one that sounds like like a loud, right. loud. Your loud first one music. is sort of like a Sarah McLachlan well, it's album. Like, yeah, like an intro- introspective songwriter's album. Uh, so I guess songwriter would be right. the sound. And sort of new wave throwback. Probably. Kind because of. the first album, Everything's Fine, sounds like a, you know, kind of folksy. But then the album Out of Sight sounds like a real loud band with lots of, lots of instruments going on, mm-hmm. as does the EP. Um, and then we've got a bunch of si- we've got a bunch of songs out there that are just like these songs we like Beautiful Eyes is a single we produced that's another loud pop music I don't know what kind of yeah. boy this is a long answer yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean I had stopped I had stopped playing music I moved I after college I moved to New York and I got into publishing and I didn't own a piano I didn't do anything with it and then Alice and I reconnected and at some point. You said, like, you need to, we need to do this. You need to be a part of this. And I was like, oh, God, what do I do? And you said, practice. Oh, yeah, (laughs) Um, So that was really, it was the first band I had ever been in. It was, and it was all because of you. It's not like my, you know, desire to go out and play in a ton of bands. It was, it was Ripley. It's like a compulsion. You want to go out and you want to make make live music. For somebody who's listening, that that's like a strong need. And then you couple that with like, maybe they'll listen to this song that I wrote. Sometimes, I don't know if anybody else with an earshot writes, mm-hmm. writes music, but sometimes you just want somebody to hear it. You don't really even need any kind of feedback or didn't even have to just, just need to know that it was heard somehow. Um, I guess that's where the, the desire to start a band comes from. Wonderful. So just taking kind of step back towards Broadway, in 1997, you and Emily Skinner originated the roles of the conjoined twins Daisy and Violet Hilton in the now cult classic Sideshow and became the first performers in a musical ever co-nominated for a Tony Award. Um, And since then, you guys have continued to perform together, including your show Unattached at uh, 54. For with Emily and with Christopher and with other longtime collaborators, what um, keeps you working together, and what um, what about a person makes you want to continue collaborating with them over such a long period of time? Well, you know this this new set that we're doing. It's called Crossovers. It's the first time we've ever done it. We call it Crossovers from Broadway to Radio. So it's going to be mostly covers. We're going to insert a couple of my own songs because I just like to always include some of those in the set. We love being together, and we love the sound that comes out of when we work together. So even though this set's going to be covers, still, it's, I think it's going to be really fun for everybody in the room because we're having fun. And so with somebody like Emily Skinner, we, we love to get together and give the audience what they want, which is you know, the audience love to s- loves to see us rib each other tease each other and then kind of blow them away, make them cry and laugh. And so we get together and do that. We give them a little shot in the arm. And so it's partly with her, it's partly about giving them what they want. And it's partly about the same thing that I mentioned with Christopher, which is sometimes there are people that um, when you work with them, they just, they elevate 
you. They elevate what you're doing, and they make you better at what you're doing. And so that's, that's one of the big reasons why you want to work with somebody again, even if it's whether you want to come back and do their podcast again or... <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, like you feel good when you leave. You feel like you had a, you know, like the best of you was focused on and all that. You felt relaxed. And <laughs> on a similar note, just looking back at your career and all of the, you know, incredible Broadway roles you've taken on, are there any of your collaborators or co-stars that you would love to work again with that you haven't had a chance to? Well, Adrian. I've never worked with you. I love being here. I can't wait to come back and do this again. <laughs> Is this a Broadway you. I mean, show? <laughs> I know it's not the same thing, but we were working together. Kind of. um, you know, it's funny because I tend to think of like venues I want to go back to, which is funny. I, I did, when, we were with, when we did Next to Normal, we were in the booth, Schubert Alley. I would love to go back to the booth. I would love to work in the Schubert as well. I would love to do Sunset again. There are certain shows I, I want to do again. I, I would never get sick of doing Les Mis if if, they, they, if somebody decided to revive that on Broadway and wanted me to play Fontaine. I'd, just, I'd play it until they kicked me out year after year after year until they said, you're too old, Alice. You can't do this anymore. It's my favorite show, and, you know, I'm corny that way. Um, a show like Cats, too. I, I, I love that score. I mean, if somebody wanted me to do Cats, I might And I which might cat say, would you be? Sure. Um, I could play Isabella. I'm kind of old-fashioned in that way where like, there are roles that I would love to play that are on my bucket list. I always say that the role that I really want to play hasn't been written yet or hasn't come to me yet. But it would be fun to see cats from the perspective of being on stage instead of just from being in the audience. And when, I, when I played Norma in Sunset, it was really cool to see that show from, you know, when Betty Schaefer comes on, and she has her fight with Joe Gillis. You'd be a great Joe Gillis, by the way. Have you ever played Joe? Are you a singer? I am not. I, I am you. not. No. It, it was really neat when I played Norma to be able to hide behind the furniture. And like I'm, I'm watching Betty and Joe have their fight. When Nor- before it was me on stage fighting with Joe. But yeah. then when I played Norma, I was like hiding behind the table. It was really neat to see that, that perspective of the show. So you kind of preempted me on this question a bit. So we'll see if there's anything okay. new to be said. But... In addition to originating a number of incredible roles on Broadway, um, you have taken on iconic characters like, as you mentioned, Fantine in Les Miserables or Norma Desmond in Sunset Boulevard. Are there other, um, you know, kind of iconic roles in the musical theater canon, maybe one dream role that you would love to take on? I know you mentioned Grizabella and Cats. Are there any others? Well, I mean, one of the roles that keeps popping up is something that maybe someday I'll do is um, Mama Rose and Gypsy, and for me personally, I think that that seems like really a challenge. That role, and I l- I love the idea of a challenge. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, you know, I can play these roles for a while, I guess. But yeah, I would I would love to to play that role. But I'm drawn to roles that are not written yet, too, which sounds a little bit like I'm avoiding the answer, avoiding the question. But not really. It's kind of like you know. Keep in mind that I can play anything you want me to. I'm, I'm not just this type of character, this type of character. And, and I think if writers keep that in mind about the people that are out there that are ready to, to, to work for them and, and bring their, their music to life, it will be better for all of us if you realize that, you know, we're malleable. I mean, the role we're like I chameleons. W- I would like to see you do is Mrs. Lovett. 
because uh, in college they did Sweeney Todd, and 19-year-old Alice was Mrs. Lovett. Okay. Uh, and you were awesome at the time, but you were 19. And now it, I, I just feel like you would be so yeah, good at that. Yeah, that'd be really fun. He'd You'd be, be a great Sweeney Lovett. also. <laughs> no, I would love to put that on the list of... Um, yeah, I think, again, with Mrs. Lovett, I'm, well, I, I've been in Sweeney twice, the second time I played Joanna, but, you know, I always used to joke about playing Mrs. Lovett at the age of 19, you could get arrested for that, it seems <laughs> against the law or something to even try. But I pulled it off, basically, uh, basically, because our director, my voice teacher, Fitz, he was, he was great, he was a great leader that, that gave us, you know, all the inspiration that we needed to get to where we wanted to go. But yeah, I would love to play Mrs. Lovett, and I've got time to wait for that, I guess. And the idea that I might play Sweeney someday, you know, it's all the rage these days, is to switch up the genders. I love that. I love that idea. I was actually about to ask you, what role would you want to see Alice play? So I'm glad you jumped in. And so then, I guess, could you both just speak a little bit more to your inspiration for this upcoming show at 54, Crossovers, and how it's going to differ from what maybe audiences have seen from you in your past shows? We I mean, do I feel have like several different sets that we do. The last time we were at 54 Below, we did the Ripley, the band show, which is all, all, all Ripley music. For this set, we wanted to include, um, we wanted to do some covers. So, you know, I was trying to think of a set to put together where you could sing some covers. The idea that we came up with is, it's called Crossovers from Broadway to the Radio. These are songs that started out on Broadway and then they ended up on the radio. So it used to happen a lot more often back in the day, and that's why toward the end of the set, we've included some songs that could go. If somebody got it, a wild hair, you know, a song like Fill in the Blank, like Miss the Mountains, or This Is Not an Exit, which is this song from American Psycho, the Broadway show. These songs could be, they could be um, hit songs on the radio. But the radio's changed. I think what they have in common, all these songs, is that they're good songs tell a story that move a story forward there's something irrepressible about that and so you know they pop up they cross over and they pop up wherever somebody mm -hmm. wants to hear good music yeah i think it started we felt like oh there's going to be this embarrassment of riches there will be tons and tons of things and there are actually some from like the american songbook sort of, of you, know, things, you know that became standards but there actually aren't that many or aren't that many that then met our standards we're we've been very picky about the set list on this and I feel like there are some really cool 60s and 70s things. You know that that seems to be maybe that was because the guitar bands kind of took over in the late 40s early 50s and um, you know it, it ended up on Broadway with Jesus Christ Superstore Jesus Christ Superstore suddenly <laughs> have a dialect <laughs> um, and what was the other hair Right, we're singing mm -hmm. a song from Hair. But this almost seems to be like some kind of, we don't have to talk too much about this, but there's almost like a feud or some kind of rivalry between Broadway and radio. And you've got to wonder why it doesn't happen more mm -hmm. often. Um, so we do have a, a kind of a beautiful little list of, of gems that, that we found together. I love that. It sounds like you've curated a really <laughs> wonderful set list. Is there a message that you hope people walk away from the show with? Or is it just, you know, all of these beautiful songs that were crossovers or could be crossovers? I think it's going to be, people walk away, they're going to go, man, 54 Below has excellent food. 
<laughs> I was going to say, they have excellent food. Did you try the fill in the blank? Yeah, I had the French fries. Yeah, I had the, I had the mashed potatoes. Well, I always want the audience, I always hope that the audience goes away with something that, you know, have, having learned something that they didn't know. So maybe some people didn't know that, you know, I Don't Know How to Love, love Him was a hit song on the radio. And maybe some people don't know that I'll Never Fall in Love Again was actually from a musical before Dionne Warwick recorded it and made a huge hit. There are some, some things that you can just learn that way from watching a cabaret. Maybe that'll happen with ours. <laughs> Absolutely. I think there's a lot to learn there because there was definitely a time when whatever the, you know, the biggest Broadway hit song was, was the hit radio song. And, you know, we've come a long, long way away from that. And I think there are so many songs, especially in our catalog of standards, that people have no idea are from musicals or, you right. know, the other way around. Right. And so it's, I think it'll be very interesting to see, you know, who, who responds to a song and goes, oh my gosh, wait, that's from a show? That's from a show? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we have a lot of fun new arrangements for stuff too. So th- it doesn't sound like either the pop arrangement or the Broadway arrangement. It's really fun. Just mm. one last question. Is there maybe one song or story that you're most looking forward to sharing with these audiences? We didn't go over this one I was going to mention just now, but Mill Worker. Yeah. yeah. From Working, James Taylor's song that he wrote. Um, it's one of my favorite songs, just as a song, and the audience loves it, and so um, I'm looking forward to that one for sure. But yeah. I, I think all of them, you know, we just had a rehearsal before we came over here, and we cut a bunch of things. You know, it feels great to change your mind about stuff. It feels good to switch stuff up and, and let stuff go sometimes, so we're still in the process of figuring out exactly what's going to be in the set, but... Um, I'm excited about the song from American Psycho because I think that Duncan Sheik's score for that show is uh, was over ra- overlooked and underrated, and it sounds like a Coldplay song. I mean, it's the kind of thing that it's so easy to take it for granted. I don't really know how. <laughs> I I think maybe it's because it serves it serves the story so well that you almost forget that it's I almost forget it's happening. For example. When you're at a wedding and there's a wedding band and it's, it's perfect. You know, nobody really talks about it. You just enjoy the band. But if the, wedding's re- the wedding band's really bad, everyone's going to be going, God, this band is so, oh, they're awful, right? So it's that, that's the kind of thing. I mean, the score for American Psycho, I think it served the story so beautifully that it almost, people almost forgot it was there. And so I'm really excited to take this song, This Is Not an Exit, which is the last song in the score, put it exactly where, where we want it to be, like usual, and present it and say, isn't this a great song? Wouldn't this, can you imagine? Like, I can imagine a band like Phoenix or, or Coldplay playing it at Madison Square Garden. It's fun. It's fun to be the one that notices that. And then you get to include it in a set like this and talk about Doug and Sheik. <laughs> I'm a big fan of his, but I really kind of miss the Spring Awakening um, train. I mean, I got on it late. And then uh, American Psycho is where I kind of had my mind blown by Duncan Sheik. So, so yeah, I'm excited about that one. But the whole set should should be fun. Yeah. We'll see. Wonderful. Well, that is so <laughs> great to hear. I know we are all so, so excited for the shows. Thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.